Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, starting at verse 13, on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So here's a question for us today. 
What are your hopes and dreams? What are your hopes and dreams today? What do you long to see happen in your lifetime? And what achievements would help you to depart in peace, content? You see, our passage today is all about hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams that have been smashed that have been smashed, but then are resurrected in a new and glorious way. The passage today is one of hearts that are burdened, but these burdened hearts turn to hearts that are burning and hearts that end up beating with abandon. So what are your dreams? What do you dream about at the moment? And how do your dreams shape your heart? And as we approach Jesus today, as we spend time with him in this passage, as we spend time with him on the road to Emmaus, let's invite him to search us. Let's invite the scriptures to search us, to search our hearts and see what they find. So where's your heart today? Is it burdened? Is it burning? Is it beating with abandon? Let's, oh, let's pray. And then we're going to ask the scripture to do this work in our hearts. So Lord, we pray that you would be at work through your scriptures, searching our hearts today. And Lord, we pray that you would take our burdens on you as you promised to do. And I pray, Lord, you'd set our hearts ablaze and set our hearts beating with abandon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question we ask is, is your heart burdened? I wonder whether you can identify with these disciples, uh, these two on the road to Emmaus. They'd set out from Jerusalem sometime in the morning, and it's three days after Jesus died. So it's, it's Easter day, uh, it's that Sunday. And some of the women have gone into the tomb there with the spices ready to prepare his body. And instead they find that there's no body, Jesus has gone. And then they see angels that appear to them and these women have come back, but they haven't yet spoken of his resurrection. They haven't seen him resurrected. And then these two disciples realize that they need to head across to Emmaus. So they get their packs on their back and they start walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it's just after that they, that they set out for Emmaus that there's a bloke who starts walking alongside them. And he's an interesting character because he doesn't seem to know what's happened in Jerusalem in these times. He doesn't understand, it seems, why they're so burdened and downcast. And he asks them questions. And as he asks, they share of their heart. They share of their dreams and how their dreams have been smashed. And I wonder whether you can identify with these burdened disciples. I've got a, a good friend of mine, a chap who I've known since I was five, who's now living in London, whose mum uh, recently died of cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed right at the beginning of lockdown. Uh, she died a couple of months later, 
and he wasn't even able to, uh, to go home and say goodbye to her. And losing her has been a bit like losing part of himself. And it dawned on me after chatting him, with him recently around Hyde Park that grief, I think, is always a bit of an identity crisis. We ask these questions in grief. Who am I without this person who I've lost? And I wonder whether our queen is asking similar questions at the moment in her grief, uh, having lost a, a husband who's been amazing and has been such an amazing servant to her and to our country. In our grief, we go through this identity crisis. If you've lost a, a parent, you ask, am I still a child without this parent who has looked after me? And I think the disciples on the Emmaus Road were going through a similar identity crisis. You see, to be a disciple in those times meant to attach yourself to a rabbi or a teacher. And your plan was to spend as much time as you possibly could with your rabbi because you wanted to follow them, to copy them, so that you could become like them and you eventually could do what they did. And that's what these disciples had been doing. They'd been following Jesus around and copying him so that they could do what he did. And what we find in this passage, though, is that they had misunderstood their teacher. They had misunderstood their rabbi. You see, they thought that they had hitched their cart to the next big thing, as they say, to a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, we hear in verse 19. And Jesus was that. He was all that. But he was more. He was so much more. And they too had hoped for more. They say they had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped, you see, for a political messiah, one who would overthrow the Romans and free the people of his time. So just imagine this. These guys, these disciples thought that they had invested in a, in a sure win. They had invested in the next big thing. They had invested in a Bitcoin that was going to go flying and was never going to crash. They had invested in someone who is going to transform their nation, transform the local uh, political landscape. And they were right at the epicenter of it. So they thought they were going to be heroes along with Jesus. But then it all crashed. Just like that, Jesus died the most humiliating death. I think we struggle to comprehend how humiliating dying on a cross would have been for Jesus and for his, his followers to comprehend. I think that the only imagery that we might have is some of those pictures that we see occasionally on TV or on uh, our screens of, of people who are hung by cranes. I mean, that's what they experienced, a death of their hero, a death whose 
yeah, death of this person who they'd hitched their lives to. And so their dreams had been smashed, completely crashed. And what had this done to their identity? Their identity had been smashed. But you see, Jesus had spoken about something happening on the third day that they knew about. There was, and there was talk on this third day of his body, his body having disappeared and angels having appeared uh, to the woman who had gone to see his body. But these disciples were so upset by the stage, they were so smashed that they had completely checked out. They weren't prepared to entertain a hope at the stage. So they'd packed their bags and they'd set off from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. How were their hearts? Their hearts were burdened because their dreams had been smashed. And I wonder if there's some of us here today who feel similarly with our dreams smashed. And I don't know uh, what's going on in your life, but if this is you today, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus of this passage. A Jesus who meets you where you are on the road, and a Jesus who gently, probingly asks you questions that unpack your dreams. Because it just might be that your burdens arise from a misunderstanding of your own identity, of who you are, which comes from a misunderstanding of Jesus and who he is. Are you burdened today? Well, let's carry on in the story and see what Jesus has to say to people who are burdened. So our next question is, is your heart burning? I wonder if there's some of us here today who can identify the, with these disciples uh, who have burning hearts in these next few verses. Listen to uh, verse 25 to 27, we hear this. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then this is incredible. This is a Bible study with Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Some years later, uh, the apostle Paul would write to his young apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And if you like, this is exactly what Jesus does with these disciples on their road to Emmaus. He starts off in a way which might sound a little harsh. He says, how foolish you are. But he starts off this way because he wants them to know that they need to be corrected and they're going to be corrected from the scriptures. How foolish you are, he says to them. And then he starts where they were They'd spoken about Jesus being a prophet, mighty in word and deed. And so he starts off there um, with them. And he says, yes, you're right about Jesus being a prophet. This is what Moses had said. Listen to 
Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. He says, that's how you see Jesus. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was more than that. You see, David had spoken, King David, about Jesus, who is going to be greater than a prophet. Listen to this from Psalm 110, verse 1, as David prophesies. David says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the Messiah would be greater than King David. He would be greater than an earthly leader, because even King David calls this person who is going to come, his Lord. And then he was going to do more than that. He was going to be a suffering servant. So we don't know the exact verses that Jesus unpacks for the disciples. I, I would have loved to have been there in Jesus' Jesus uh, um, Bible study on the Mares Road, but I wouldn't be surprised if he unpacked a bit of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Listen to this. Isaiah the prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so Jesus, for these disciples on the road, would have been unpacking from the scriptures what was said about him. Yes, he was going to be a prophet who was going to come that was promised by Moses. Yes, he was going to be more than a prophet, as David said. And yes, this one, this Messiah who is going to come, was one who was going to suffer. He was going to be the lamb as well as the lion, as we sang about earlier, the lamb who is going to be slain for them. And um, he was one who was going to uh, not beat the political authorities at their own game, but be beaten by them. For, on, uh, for our behalf, on our behalf. Uh, he was going to suffer um, and lose his freedom so that he could give us, us the freedom that he had promised us. And he wasn't just going to do this for the people of his time, but for the people of all time who would put their trust in him. And he had to do this because what he was going to do uh, what he was going to beat, the problem of the heart that he was going to beat, the problem of the heart that he was going to overcome there was a problem that was universal and not just for the people of the time. The problem of humanity has always been the problem of our heart. And so on the cross, he took that deadly poison that we all have in our own hearts. He took it and suffered and died with it on the cross so that he could offer us an exchange, our hearts with their deadly poison in, for his heart, which is pure and clean. And he offered us that exchange. And so on this road to Emmaus, he opens up the scriptures to the disciples. And while he does that, while he speaks of this problem of the heart, something happens inside their hearts their hearts that had been burdened end up burning 
on fire for him. They say later in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their burdened hearts are set on fire uh, as their ears listen to the Messiah. And I wonder whether this might, this might uh, describe your heart today, or you might have had a similar experience yourself. Uh, we see the power of Scripture, God's Word, um, to change us from the inside out. And we see this has happened to many people in the past. I remember back in the day when I was in my teens, jumping up and down for joy, reading John 3.16 for the first time that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that those who believe in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world, which means that God must love me too. And he didn't stop there. He did something for me, suffered for me, so that I could have life in him. I remember jumping up and down with my heart on fire as the word did its work. And we see this happening in many other people's life. The, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, had a similar experience where he found his heart strangely warmed uh, while listening to a friend of his speaking on a commentary of Martin Luther as Martin Luther commented on uh, Paul's epistle to, to the Romans. So it's three stages removed from scripture, but still the scripture was so powerful uh, that it spoke to his heart and he found himself strangely warmed. And we see this happening on Alpha all the time. Uh, there was someone recently who wrote to us about how every time she opens up the scriptures, God speaks to her. And Jane has just been amazed by this. She said, she's, she's literally, it's like he's speaking into her, her life, into her situation. Every single day she finds her heart burning within her. And I wonder if you find this isn't you at the moment, but you want it to be you, I'd love to encourage you to, to open up Isaiah chapter 53 when you're at home and read through it. It's, it's, it's so uncanny. It almost feels like it, it should have been written after Jesus died on the cross, but it is written hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. Or open up Mark's gospel and read through that. Maybe that's what you need today to set your heart ablaze for Christ again, or for the first time. And so this is some of what the disciples on the road, these two experience. But it goes further than that. They come to a place where their hearts are beating with abandon. So have a look at what happens next. You see, after Jesus has unpacked the scriptures to them, they get to Emmaus. And they're like, we need to go here. But Jesus seems like he's going to carry on along the road. So they encourage him to come in and spend the night with him, with them. And they go up uh, to their house and, and they start eating. And we find that Jesus is at the, the place of the host at the table and he starts breaking the bread. And then suddenly their eyes are open. They realize who he is. He disappears from their sight. And they're so excited about this um, that they realize who he is, that they sprint back to Jerusalem and they find themselves back with the, the 12 who have become the 11 uh, and they tell of, of what has happened. And 
It's an incredible time. So these disciples who had been blind to him, who hadn't been able to see him, hadn't grasped his identity, either of this person who was on the road with them or of this rabbi who were there, they were following, suddenly realize who he is. They understand who he is through this breaking of the bread. They're reminded of Jesus breaking the bread uh, as he shared with the 5,000. And maybe they weren't there at the Last Supper, but they've heard of how he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples and told them to remember him in this way, because his body was going to be broken. That's what he was going to do for them. He was going to suffer. He was going to die for, him, that, for them. That's how he should be remembered. And so as he breaks this bread, they grasp his identity, the identity of the suffering servant. One who is a prophet, yes. One who is a redeemer, yes. One who is greater than King David, yes. And one who is going to suffer and die for them so that they could find their identity in him. One who had been broken for them. One who is broken for us. One who has conquered death. And one who is alive again and appears to them and is known to us as well. And so it's at the table that their eyes are suddenly open. They're like, yes, we get it. We get who this chap is. We get who he's always been. Yes, their eyes are open. And it's the point at the point where their eyes are open that he's able to disappear because they get him. They've seen him. And so we find here that they had lost something that they never really had. They had lost a dream of Jesus, but they had gained something that is so far superior. They had gained a reality of Jesus. They had lost something which they had to lose and they had gained something which they could never lose. And so it's with hearts beating with abandon that they sprint back to Jerusalem in the light of the Passover full moon. They sprint back to 11. They sprint back those seven miles. And when they get there, they start explaining what's happened, that Jesus has appeared to them on the road, and they find out that Jesus has also appeared to Peter just a bit earlier. They'd missed out on that because they'd headed out to Emmaus. He has appeared to Peter too. And as they're all sharing these stories with one another, suddenly Jesus is with them yet again. He appears to his disciples together. And I just love how the sprinting back to Jerusalem is something that's so normal for these disciples in their excitement, it's so natural. Like, you can't imagine them doing anything else other than sprinting back to Jerusalem. And I love seeing how this happens every time people come to faith in Jesus, especially on Alpha. They end up sprinting around telling their friends of this Jesus who they've found, who their eyes have been open to. I think of the big burly policeman called Phil, who came to 
uh, faith in Jesus on an alpha that we ran in a coffee shop. And a little bit later, he went um, to his ex-wife's house to pick up his daughter to spend time with her. And his ex took one look at Phil, the burly policeman, and accused him of being in love. Uh, this chap had found love in Jesus. It is just so normal for him to be sprinting around speaking of the one who he loved. And, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you found Jesus and uh, you're sprinting around sharing him. Or maybe you want this to be you. Maybe you want to fall in love with him, to see him, for your eyes to be open and to be the one whose heart uh, is abandoned to him and you're sprinting around telling people about him. And if that's you, if that's you who wants to have the fresh start, then I'd love to encourage you to spend time with him. Spend time with him on the Mayor's Road. Meet, let him meet you where you are. Spend time with him in one of the Gospels, maybe Mark's Gospel. Spend time with him in prayer and see whether he takes your heart. Maybe it's a heart that's burdened and sets it ablaze for you to become a heart that's burning and then gives you a heart that's beating with abandon for him, the resurrected Messiah. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us on that road. You meet us and you meet us where we are, whether we are, we are burdened or whether there's something else going on there on our heart, in our hearts today. You meet us with the dreams that we have and you meet us and reveal yourself to us in the scripture. And Lord, we pray that you'd be speaking to us today. We pray that you'd be asking questions of us. And we pray, Lord, that again, you'd set our hearts on fire for you, burning for you. And then we pray, Lord, that you'd set us to a place of, of our hearts beating with abandon. Give us, Lord, that passion for you and that love for you as we sprint around sharing the love that you have for us, the love that we have found in you. Meet us where we are today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.